Hey everybody, welcome to episode 250 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas on this milestone episode. I'm excited to be with you guys and I'm going to continue my theme from a couple of episodes ago and this time talk about actually building your own race plan, building your own race plan. We're going to talk specifically today about that in the context of marathons, because I know that's on many of your minds as we have races coming up very, very soon. And so I'm going to lay out eight steps, eight steps for building your own race plan. You could probably combine some of these, make it fewer steps if you wanted to. But in order to get the richness of this discussion, I'm going to split it up into eight and then talk you through each step of the process to take you through building your own plan. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do, quickly, I wanted to mention episode 92 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast, the other podcast I host with Kara Goucher and Shanna Burnett. We just resumed making content for that. We took a little break over the summer because we had some busy things going on in our personal lives, but we are back and we started things off in episode 92 with a host roundtable to talk about the big news from anti-doping and clean sport from the summer including Alberto Salazar's safe sport ban, including the Shakari Richardson and Brianna McNeil cases, and then, of course, including our reactions on the Shelby Houlihan case. So if you'd like to hear more from Kara, Shanna, and I on that topic, jump over to episode 92 on the Clean Sport Collective podcast, which you can get wherever podcasts are distributed. So go check that out. All right, let's talk about race planning. It's an important, important topic because you have to have a plan to go into these races and it's easy to maybe gloss over this or even be afraid perhaps of digging into this topic. I'm a big proponent of developing a plan, a target strategy to execute in order to get your goal. And so we're going to talk about that in quite a bit of depth today. I've done six, I think, episodes prior to this on actually plans associated with specific courses. And then I have one generic episode on race strategy from the 5K up to the marathon where I talk about race strategy across all distances. And some of these episodes were were done with my prior host, co-host Steve. And so we've got seven episodes out there for you to go check out if you want to dig back into these and I'll list these all in the show notes but episode five talked about marathon race planning in general episode eight we talked about Austin marathon course strategy which is a hilly course so if you want some proxy associated with a more hilly course that's one to look at episode 14 talked about Boston course strategy episode 56 talked again about Houston 3m and Austin course strategies Episode 98 talked about the New York City Marathon race strategy. Episode 101, the California International Marathon course strategy. And then going back to episode 46, we talked about race strategy in general from the 5K to the marathon. And so that's seven episodes talking about race strategy or giving my my perspective or our perspective on specific courses and how to attack them. We haven't necessarily broken down the process of developing a race plan or really given instruction on how do you do this yourself. 
because ultimately you may be doing a race that's not on that list that I just mentioned, or you want to just start to develop this skill on your own so that when you approach a course, you can have your own perspective on how to attack it, which is only going to give you a better chance to achieve your goals. And so I'm going to break down again, eight steps today on how to build your own race plan. Before I get there, I wanted to just talk a little bit generally about the concepts we want to build into a race plan. And then we'll cover some of these things as we go and in the various steps as well. But first of all, I just wanted to address the importance of a race plan. I think it's important to have a strategy, to have a target plan, because if you're going to optimize your your run towards a goal, then you need to be able to execute against target paces based on your fitness. And in a, in a race as long as a marathon, that requires some thinking and planning in order to optimize the outcome. If you just go in and sort of randomly say, hey, I think I can run about this pace and then try to run that for as long as you can, that is one approach, but it isn't, in my opinion, going to necessarily get you the best outcome. And so you want to think about it. You want to think about the course. You want to apply the things you've learned from your training block to the race so that you can then execute to the best of your ability and give yourself the best chance to get a goal. So that's one reason why we develop a race plan. Another reason is because courses are all going to look different and you know, a flat course like Chicago is should be approached differently than a hilly course like New York or Boston should be approached differently than CIM, which has a lot of downhill elements, should be approached differently than a course like the Austin Marathon, which is rolling the entire time. And so each of these courses brings a different flavor and requires, therefore, a different strategy so that you're not burning too much energy at various points in the race so that you can have that staying power at the end. And it requires a little bit of thinking, a little bit of planning. And so that's another reason to do it because courses just don't look the same and you want to be able to assess the course that's in front of you and figure out an optimal approach. So we're going to get you into how to do that. Before I go there, again, one more point here, which is that the idea behind marathoning, especially if you're wanting to run your fastest marathon, is that most optimal marathon strategy, a most optimal marathon strategy, which Kipchoge has used in running the world record, which science tells us based on analyzing marathon results, tells us is most optimal, is a negative split marathon, meaning that you run the second half faster than the first. That is optimal based on the world record and what the best athletes are doing. It's also optimal based on the science and the stats associated with analyzing millions of results out there. So you need to be able to develop a plan that has you finishing strongly, that has you running the second half faster than the first. And while I know that's a hard concept to wrap your head around if you've never done it, or maybe even harder if you've never done a marathon at all and you're thinking about how you might feel 25 miles into this race, while it's daunting and it seems challenging, there are countless examples of people that have done it and had success doing it and then run their best time with that approach. I can tell you that my best marathon was a negative split marathon. Really all of my best marathons have been that way. And all the best elite marathons 
play out that way. And then science tells us if they analyze the data of millions of marathon performances that a, a negative split marathon is the optimal way to get the most out of the day, which means that you need to discard concepts that you might hear, like this idea of banking time. <laughs> that is the most common one I hear. The most common myth about race planning is that you somehow need to go faster at the beginning of a marathon in order to, quote, bank time so that when the wheels fall off, you can hold on for dear life and still salvage something. Well, that is a strategy, but it is not the optimal strategy. Rather, a strategy that is more optimal is one where you actually bank energy instead of banking time. You bank energy by starting more conservatively to save it for the end. Because if you start a race too fast, then you're signing up for a really, really tough go at the end. And based on my experience as a coach, even small mistakes early in your target pace where you might be running 10 or 20 seconds per mile faster than what you're supposed to, even small mistakes like that in single miles early in a race can lead to magnified results later where you lose minutes on the back end because of those small 10 to 20 second mistakes early on. And that's just the way it works. The marathon is a tough beast and it will come and get you if you break this rule of trying to bank time instead of banking energy. So when I think about race planning, it's always with that idea in mind that you want to start smart, start conservatively, and work down from there. And a little bit of what conservative looks like does vary with your experience level, which I'll talk about when we get into the steps, but it's still universally true that I want you to start slower and that first mile typically should be your slowest mile of the race. And if you can do that and execute that effectively, then you're gonna have energy at the end that's gonna allow you to finish strong. So let's break it down. Let's talk about how we put together a plan in eight steps. First step is to choose your goal pace. Choose your goal pace. And I'm not going to cover a lot here because I just talked about it in episode 248. I gave you a whole episode on how to choose your goal pace based on the inputs that you might have from recent races, from your training cycle, from how you've been feeling during that training cycle. And so that's step number one. And when you're choosing a goal pace, essentially what you want to do for the marathon is identify what I like to call in my coaching vernacular marathon goal pace. That's the pace that you feel you could hold on average for a marathon if asked, regardless of heat or terrain. And so this is a goal not yet adjusted for your terrain or perhaps the temperature, but this is just, if I was running a consistent pace for 26.2 miles, what do I believe I can do? And that might come in the form of a pace per mile. It might come in the form of a total marathon time. Either way, you can translate it back and forth, but you want to first identify that goal pace and then we can get to the next steps. But as I mentioned, episode 248 will do that. So I won't be giving you a lot here on this step, but just make sure that you're taking that time to choose a goal pace that makes sense. 
that makes sense based on everything you've learned in training. And then, as I mentioned in that episode, based on the risk that you're prepared to take on race day. So choose that goal pace. The second step is gathering information about your race. Gathering information about your race. This should be the easiest step in the process. This is just collecting the base information that you need in order to make a plan. And so that looks like getting a course map, of course. That looks like getting an elevation chart that's actually useful. And by useful, I mean one that you can you can actually read and interpret and that has a scale that allows you to understand the nuances of the, the course. Because some elevation charts will have this massive scale and then you can't really tell what the undulations are throughout the course because they're they're basically hidden by the size of the scale on the side. And so make sure you get a good elevation chart with a reasonable scale so you can actually see the undulations. Sometimes you may also want to verify that elevation chart by looking at perhaps Strava outputs from others that have done this race in the past. You can go and search on Strava segments and find perhaps a segment that actually is the whole course. And that can give you information from Strava about what that elevation looks like. And it can also show you potentially the pace changes that you might see in somebody's race as that elevation plays out. And so you want to collect the data and verify it and make sure it's accurate. I say that actually that last point and emphasize it a bit because there was actually an instance for an athlete that I had recently where the course elevation chart on the website was inaccurate. It didn't make sense. This was a course that was actually run along the water, but yet if you looked at the elevation chart provided by the race director, there was actually, it was showing quite a bit of elevation change, something that would be more akin to what I see here in Austin on a hilly course, but it didn't make sense given the proximity of the water and so forth. So we were actually able to verify with some internet super sleuthing and the help of the team actually verify what that course looked like by pulling Strava results and outputs from other people who had actually done that race before. And so that was able to, fortunately in this case, show us that the course wasn't as hilly as what was shown on the website. And so you just want to make sure that the information you're getting is accurate. And in particular, that you have that course map and the elevation chart and then any information you can pull on people that have done the race in the past. Could be your old data if you've done the course or race. Could be a friend's old data. That's just helpful information to help provide input to your process here. Make sure you have that info and that it's accurate. Third step, and this is probably the, the, maybe it's too strong to say the most important step, but it's in a really important step and, and one that you can mess up. So you want to be really cautious here. I would also say that this is something that takes a little bit of practice and you may want to consult with others that have 
a mind like race planning around race planning that could help you do this while you're learning this process. But the third step is you want to chunk up the course into measurable chunks that have similar terrain. Typically, this is going to be anywhere from three to six chunks. I don't like to see more than that because then it starts to complicate the plan. But basically, you want to chunk up the course into at least three because a flat course will have three chunks as a sort of standard race plan and up to six about as a maximum. And what you're trying to do is chunk up that course into sections that have similar terrain that will have similar strategies. And when we get to this part, I want to talk a little bit about the concept around race planning. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about race planning and think about pace planning for their marathon, they're thinking about, okay, I want to understand and have my mile by mile splits that I should be running in this race in order to get my goal. And while that may be an output of what we're trying to accomplish here, that isn't really the point. The point isn't necessarily to get your mile by mile splits. That is an outcome, but the point and the more useful point is that you're really trying to develop a strategy for tackling the course in a way that is most efficient. So you're developing a strategy for tackling the course in a way that's most efficient. The outcome of those strategies are paces that will help you measure against your strategy, but it still doesn't change the approach that you're taking here, which is that you want to understand what you're trying to accomplish with each section of the course, not just the pace you're trying to run. Because the paces will be an output of the strategy, the paces may also be a little bit wrong. I mean, you're essentially trying to make estimates of how the terrain might affect you. And when you get out, out there, it might look a little bit different, but you could still maintain the strategy while maybe the paces that you had planned aren't quite right. And if you're maintaining the strategy of your plan, then it's going to it's going to be okay. That's the important part here. So you're trying to chunk the course up into three to six distinct sections to which, based on terrain, to which you can assign a distinct strategy. There will be paces associated with that. But you still want to understand, what am I trying to accomplish in each section of the course? And that's a little different necessarily than the, the paces. Paces will be an outcome, but it's a little bit different than the paces you're trying to achieve. And this also is where I'll quickly digress and say that I really get frustrated. It's too strong a word, but I, I find it not useful to develop a wristband with all of your mile by mile paces on it. I don't, I don't believe that is a useful exercise. And in fact, I think it can be a dangerous exercise. And look, you may disagree on this point, and I understand everybody's going to have their, a different approach. But for me, what I'm trying to understand is not necessarily what mile-by-mile mile plan I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to understand what is the strategy I'm trying to execute? Was I able to execute that? What were the paces associated with that in real time? And then how should I adjust going forward? 
Those are the things that matter. And ultimately, when we try to get too precise in some sort of mile-by-mile plan, then it can become, I think, dangerous. Because when you, first of all, it it assumes a level of precision that just isn't useful because you're going to be too focused on your watch and your Garmin versus just feeling how you should run each section of the race. But also when you might get feedback from it by looking at your real-time watch versus what that wristband might tell you, then you have a tendency to potentially overcorrect. Oh, I missed that mile by five seconds. Therefore, I need to run five seconds faster and another mile in order to make up for it. And, and you start to try to overcompensate instead of just following the plan, the strategy overall. And so when I see some of these websites that purport to give you a mile-by-mile plan based on the terrain, you can input the terrain and it'll and your target pace and it'll spit you out a wristband or a mile-by-mile plan that says this is what you should run for every single mile of the race. In particular, I've seen this for the Boston Marathon. That, to me, again, isn't useful because it doesn't tell you how you should be running the race. It just tells you a pace to run. And that requires you to be obsessed with your watch, to not feel things out, to not understand how you're using your energy in the moment, which can cause you to overcorrect, undercorrect, course correct, and and also just generally expend more energy than you need to. So instead of that, I'll offer a different approach in a second, but I had to get that out there. But in this, you're chunking up the race, three to six chunks, in definable terrain sections. So what does that mean? What does that mean? On a flat course, it's really simple, like Chicago. Pretty much pancake flat, except for one small little hill at the end. So in that case, you're chunking up the course into three seconds, into three sections based on, simply based on strategy for how you execute a marathon. Start conservatively for three or four miles, work down to pace, hold that through the middle, maybe through mile 21, and then finish strong over the last five miles or so. Three sections, three different strategies, all the same terrain. On a course that's more complicated than that, you want to look at that elevation chart and draw lines and in little chunks of what are the definable sections of this course. You typically will always have a start section that will be typically anywhere from three to four miles where you're going to want to start slower than your target pace and work down to your target pace. That's always going to be there. And then after that, what are those definable chunks? Maybe you have a section that is flat. Maybe you have a section that is consistently rolling with similarly sized hills. Maybe you have a downhill section. Maybe you have a section with a really big climb in it that needs to have its own strategy associated with that really big climb so that you don't overdo it there. And so you want to then chunk up the rest of the course up until the end and the last three to sometimes six miles will always look similar where you're closing out strong, you're finishing fast. And then those middle miles, typically somewhere between three and 21, you want to chunk up based on, again, similar terrain. 
Now that doesn't mean that every hill has its own section or every downhill habit has its own section. It just means that you want to group together miles that have roughly similar terrain and that could be assigned a similar strategy. And again, I like to keep it to no more than six sections if possible so that you don't have too much to think about in your head. Because for me, I don't like to write anything down. I just like to visualize and internalize and then go execute. So chunk up the course that way. And I'll give you an example or a couple of examples. In the Austin Marathon, for example, that can be broken down into six sections. We have the opening miles, which are happen to actually be uphill. And then from from zero till about three. And then you have a downhill section from three to six. That is all pretty similar. And then from six to 10, it's pretty flat. So that's all a section. Then from 10 till about 18, you have a rolling section where it's consistently rolling with similar ups and downs. And then from 18 till about 22 or 23, it's downhill. And then from 23 to the finish, it's flat with one little climb at the end. So that's six sections. Basically definable chunks where the train is similar in each chunk and where I can assign a a strategy to that chunk. Once you've chunked it up, then you're going to assign a strategy to each section. So that is... Step number four is assign a strategy to each section based on what makes sense for that section. And then once you've assigned that strategy, then you're going to associate it with a rough adjustment in paces, with a rough adjustment in paces. So what does that look like? Obviously, it will depend on the terrain. So you're going to look at each chunk. That first chunk, starting slow, Picking it up, typically I like to see people start anywhere from 30 to 45 seconds slower per mile than their target pace in mile one. People will say, that's crazy, Chris. How am I ever going to make up that time? I promise you, you will if you bank energy to save for later, but start 30 to 45 seconds slower in mile one and then work down gradually from there over the first three to four miles. That is always a strategy or approach that I typically, that I recommend at the beginning. In the middle, in a flat section, it's all about being smooth and consistent and trying as best you can to dial into a specific rhythm and stay there. You know, your miles should in in a flat section generally look pretty much the same. They might not be perfect from mile to mile, but you should see some very little variation around a certain target pace in a flat section. In a rolling section, it might be, the idea might be to maintain a constant effort, even if the paces are fluctuating from mile to mile, because no two miles in a rolling section might look the same. And so you're going to give yourself some latitude, a little more latitude around a target pace with the goal of really maintaining a similar effort from mile to mile. And in that section, you might see that the paces vary, maybe plus or minus 10 to 15 seconds from mile to mile, depending on whether you're going up or down in that given mile in a rolling section, of course. 
in an uphill section, your strategy might be to simply conserve energy and to let that hill naturally slow you down. And then you can make some estimates of what associated pace you might see if you do that. And that can be oftentimes anywhere from 15 up to maybe 40 seconds per mile slower in a hilly section. And that's okay, potentially, because again, you might be saving energy in that section that you can reuse later versus burying yourself on really tough climbs. In a downhill section, oftentimes the strategy is about being smooth and not beating up your quads. And so what I like to see people do in a downhill section is essentially get free miles. And so not necessarily make up time in a downhill section, maybe a little, but not much, just to let gravity do its thing Stay on top of your feet. Don't break. Don't beat up the quads. Be as smooth and rhythmic as you can so that you're saving energy again for later. So depending on the terrain, you can then, based on those chunks you've already established, chunk up your strategy accordingly. Flat sections usually are about rhythm and efficiency and being smooth. Rolling could be about constant effort. Climbing could be about conserving for later. Downhills could be about saving those quads and also, again, just just saving energy for later so that you can use gravity to your advantage and not necessarily gain back time, but gain back some energy or recover from maybe a tougher section of the course prior. And so you've got to think about that and just think about what would it make sense, what would make sense at each stage in the race based on the terrain, knowing that I don't want you to press until the last five or six miles and or less. So it could be anywhere from three miles out, could be up to six miles out, not usually longer than that. I want you to stay consistent, stay rhythmic, stay out of trouble, stay conservative until at least mile 20. After 20, then depending on the train and depending on your plan and what you're ready to do, you could potentially pick it up and start to press on the way in. And that last section is all about closing out strongly. And that will many times actually result in you potentially running as fast as half marathon pace in the final mile or two. But you want to think about that last section, think about the train in that last section and Assume that you're going to have something there to finish it out strong. So step four here, develop your strategy for each section and then assign paces to that section. Could be your target pace, could be your target pace plus X or minus X, could be your target pace plus or minus X. You're going to take that overall strategy and then translate it into paces and assume in that section you're going to run approximately that through the entire thing. So that's number four. Develop strategies for each chunk. Number five, then you want to actually build your time from the bottom up. You can do this in a spreadsheet. You could do this with just good old-fashioned math on a on a piece of paper with a pencil, just add it up. If you follow the strategy for each section, then what does that look like? 
what does that give you in terms of your target time? One shorthand way I like to do this is not necessarily by adding up all of the minutes and seconds, but by simply saying, by just simply adding up the difference in each mile between that target mile and my target pace. So if I know, for example, that I'm trying to run four hours for the marathon, which is a 909 pace per mile, and I can just go in and by mile assign the variation from that. And so if mile one is 940, then that's plus 31 seconds. If mile two is 930, then that's plus 21 seconds and so on. And then so you're just clocking the pluses and minuses. And inevitably, there's going to be a bunch of miles at 909 pace, which are plus zero. And then you'll have some miles at the end that are faster that will deduct from that time. And so then with the pluses and minuses, you can pretty quickly get to where you will be plus or minus that four hour goal at the end. And so build it from the bottom up based on your strategies just to confirm, does this make sense? Does this add up? Does it get to me to my goal? And then of course, that might then prompt you to make some adjustments. Again, not that you want to necessarily disconnect pace from strategy, but you might, once you start to add it all up, think, okay, does this make sense? Does my strategy and the paces I've assigned to that, do they actually gel with what I think is going to be possible out there on the road? And, and then make some small adjustments if needed, but either way, you're going to make sure that based on chunking up the race and the paces you've assigned to it, that it builds up to the goal you're trying to shoot for. And if not, then you need to make some adjustments either in the paces associated with each strategy, again, as long as it still makes sense, or maybe you need to make adjustments in your steady state pace in order to get to the goal that you want because the course is going to be what the course is going to be. You're going to have to run it in a smart way, but you might have to, for example, get to a little faster target pace in order to get the total time you want on those flat sections if it's all going to work and then you can gut check and say hey does that make sense do you think i can do i think i can do that so you have to then build it from the bottom up this is step five and then make sure it makes sense and then make adjustments accordingly again it should all gel it should all be connected to reality based on what you think you could do in each section and then you can lock in on the plan if it all makes sense and after making any adjustments that you need to make. Step six, layer in the other components of the plan. The nutritional components, the hydration components, where do those things fit? If you're taking gels, what miles are you taking gels? If you're hitting water stops, what's your plan associated with that? If you're doing something else, what does that look like? Make sure that you build in the nutrition and hydration part, and that it actually syncs up with your plan. So for example, if I'm going to take gels starting at one hour and then every 35 minutes on the course, what does that look like? How does that pair with my mile by mile mile strategy? At what miles will, will I be taking those gels? Does that make sense based on where the water stops are on this course? So layer that nutrition and hydration strategy on top of your mile by mile pacing plan just so you can sync those things up and note 
where you're going to actually take nutrition, take your hydration, take any salt pills you might be planning. Just layer those two things together so that it makes sense. Step seven, visualize the plan. Step seven, visualize the plan. And this I cannot underscore enough. You need to run this race exactly as you planned it in your mind's eye. Not necessarily all at once, but at least in chunks before race day. That means taking time on an easy run. That means taking time while you're daydreaming, waiting for something to happen in your life and just visualize every step of the race from the pre-race chaos and energy to that gun going off to you executing your plan in each chunk as you've defined it to you executing the paces that you've defined all the way to you getting to that finish line with your goal time on the clock. You want to visualize it in your mind's eye, trying to pull in all of the senses, not just the visuals, but also the things that you might hear, the things you might smell, the things you might feel. Pull all of those things together as best you can into a visualization exercise in whatever chunks make sense for you so that you can run this race in your head before you ever do it in real life. Again, might sound cheesy, but I promise you it works. It is a way to practice without actually moving your body that is very, very powerful. And there are some studies that actually say it can be more powerful even in some cases than physical practice. So visualize the plan. Part of visualizing the plan is also visualizing what could go wrong. And so I would also, as a part of that, think about where you might have issues. Think about maybe that side stitch that might pop up at mile 17 when you're still supposed to be feeling good. You're not to the wall yet, but that side stitch pops up if that's maybe something you've dealt with in the past. And then visualize working through it. Visualize running too fast in a certain mile and then adjusting for it. Visualize hurting earlier than you thought and working through that, pulling all of the mental tools that you might want to to bring to bear as well. I've talked about those before, mantras and, and the counting exercises and things like that. And in fact, I should mention here episode 150 where I actually talk about the mental tips and tricks for race day. You may want to go back and listen to that and put that to work for you. So visualize it. And as you visualize it, you know, let that be a feedback loop that helps reinforce and internalize the plan. Because I don't want you to have to have a wristband with a mile-by-mile plan. I don't want you to have to write something on your hand that tells you what you're going to do. I want that to be so internalized in your brain that you know exactly what you're going to do in each section of that course. Study it like you would study for a test. Think about those three to six sections of the race, the strategy associated with it, the paces you might run in each, and in, and visualize it in a way that internalizes it so that you won't forget. So that when you get there, you don't need to look at something on your wrist or hand or arm. You just do it. You just do it because it's so internalized. And then the last step, step eight, is go execute. Step eight is go execute. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had someone have a perfect plan and maybe perfect training for that perfect plan and then go out on race day and screw it up by doing something that they didn't plan, like starting way too fast, like skipping their gels when they should be taking them, like attacking the hills that they said they were going to conserve energy on instead of saving that energy for later. It happens consistently all the time, and I'm not sure why, but it just does. So you have to commit to executing your plan now. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. You know, there's the famous Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think that's probably true with marathoning as well, is that you might have the perfect plan, but you're not going to execute it perfectly. And that's okay. But what's not okay is making a mistake and then not adjusting for it. Not using that as an in-race lesson that can prevent you from compounding that mistake. Because what I see people do is start too fast and then stay too fast. What I see people do is skip their gel and then not take it. What I see people do is attack one hill and then another hill and then keep attacking hills to the point where they don't have anything left at the end. So what I see people do is make a mistake and then choose to compound that mistake rather than using it as a lesson. Every single mile marker is an opportunity for you to learn inside the race and for you to make adjustments inside the race. And that's not to say that I want you to think about making up time because there is no such thing. You need to execute your plan mile by mile exactly as you had planned regardless of what happened in the past. So as you go through the race, you've got to stay present. You can't worry about the past. You can't worry about mistakes you've made. You can't worry about time, quote unquote, gained or lost. All you can do in any given mile is execute the plan exactly as you had planned, as you had written it. That's what you want to do. That doesn't mean you ignore the past. It just means that you don't let the past affect the present in a bad way at least. You might learn from it. You might say, hey, I ran that mile too fast. I'm going to adjust and not run this mile too fast. So you can take that feedback forward to then better execute your plan, but don't take that feedback forward from the race itself and compound your mistakes. So execute, and then when you do make mistakes, just try to get right back on plan. Use that as information learned to help you get right back on plan. And then execute each mile individually exactly as you intended, regardless of what you did in the early parts of the race. Execute each mile as intended. Because if you have a hilly mile, you should be executing that conservatively. You should not be thinking about getting greedy on that mile because maybe you went too slow at a different point. So execute each stage exactly as planned based on the best of your ability in that moment. And the only time you can go off script for me as a coach is after mile 23. The only time you can go off script, zero to 23, execute each mile as planned regardless of what the past did, or regardless of what you did in the past. 
execute each mile as planned. Try your best to do that mile exactly as you had written. After 23, though, all bets are off. After 23, all bets are off. Now, that doesn't mean do anything crazy or suddenly speed up and blow mile 23 out of the water and then not have anything for 24 or 25. But when you're at that point in the race, you know exactly what you have left. You know exactly how much energy you have left. You can measure that out and spend it based on what you have left in that moment. So all you can do is then run to the finish the best of your ability, close it out strong. And if you've got more in the tank than maybe you had anticipated, go get it in those final three miles. But before that, don't get greedy. Before that, don't get greedy. Now, if you've done all these things, if you've chosen your goal pace appropriately, if you've gathered your info, if you've chunked up the course in a way that makes sense, if you've then assigned strategies to each chunk of that course, then layered in, but then built it up from the bottom up based on pace and validated that and made some adjustments, plus layered in your nutrition and hydration, you visualize and then you've executed. If you've made all of, if you've done all of those steps, then that's you controlling exactly what you could control. There's a lot in marathoning you can't control. The weather, the people around you, maybe how you might feel on the day, maybe the the concert that was happening outside your hotel balcony. There's a lot you can't control. But these are the things that I just talked about that you can control, that you can execute with precision and give yourself the best opportunity to get your goal on the day if you execute these eight steps. It's not easy, but it can be straightforward if you just take it one step at a time. Now, again, you can listen to some of those old episodes I mentioned to give some ideas and to maybe calibrate with what you're doing for your course based on how I might break up similar courses. But I would also trust your gut, trust your instincts, and think of this where each race is a learning opportunity. Each race is a learning opportunity for you to basically get better at this skill. And every time you line up, you'll be a little bit more prepared because you'll learn something about how to plan a race each time in a way that's going to help build on itself to the point where it will help you get your big, big goals down the road. So there you go. I will wrap this episode with that. And I really wish you all the best as these fall races come up. Knock on wood, everything's going to happen as we planned. And we're going to have great results to celebrate. So looking forward to that. I myself will be in Boston doing the Boston Marathon. And I will probably be doing a meetup there for those that would like to maybe say hi. So stay tuned for information coming on that. Otherwise, you can check us out at roguerunning.com as always, and you can follow us on social media at Rogue Running on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.